This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. We're back. It's a new season. It's the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome back to the start of a brand new season of the No Name Never podcast. Season 7, guys, time doesn't half fly when you are having fun. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the very brief summer, um, the very short break away from what ended up being the last uh, nine games of the 2019-2020 Premier League season, culminating in uh, quite a safe position for Burnley in the end uh, with a really decent end of season run, a very short summer break and then straight back into it, into, of course, the 2020-2021 Premier League season, however that may play out. Joining you for a brand new season, as ever, is myself, your regular host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week for this very special preview show slash summary of last season are my colleagues, Tom Whitaker and Richard Steele. Tom, Richard, welcome back. Cheers, Natalie. It's nice to be back, isn't it? It feels like we're never away. It, yeah, it very much does. It very much does. It was a it was a very short summer, um, albeit quite sweet. And, and I don't think any of us have really managed to get ourselves organised and ready for the new season. But we are where we are. Um, and one thing we will come on to talk about in a moment, of course, is the fact that none of the fans are yet back in the stadium yet. So we are. Uh, Yeah, we're definitely feeling a little bit, um, shall we say, remote from our football club at the moment. But let's not be deterred because, of course, we are all still Burnley fans through and through. And we need to get on with things. We need to get back out there. We need to get back into a podcast and get some regular episodes going and get our support behind the boys. And that is, of course what your known and ever team is here for. So we're going to start this week by having a very quick recap on where the season finished last year, um, where we ended up, what we thought we did well, and essentially how we felt the season went overall. We're then going to have a look at some of your um, end of season awards. We put a poll out in the put a poll out in the field. I sound like I'm some American political consultant. We put a survey out um, to you guys um, at the end of the season just to have a quick look at what your slightly off the wall uh, end of season awards were. Um, so we're going to have a look at the results of that and see what you made of it all. Um, we're going to talk um, about the transfer window and how Burnley's summer activity has been. We've we've allocated about 46 seconds for that, so I think that should probably cover it. Um, and then we're going to uh, have a look forward to next season and what our hopes, dreams and probably realistic expectations are going to be. So let's start where we finished, essentially, and that is the back end of last season. And Tom, we'll come to you first. Um, Tenth in the Premier League in the end. um, That was the end of our fourth consecutive season in the Premier League. 54 points, which was equal to um, the best points target we've had so far. Um, And it secured us a fifth consecutive season in the Premier League. Now, if you think back to the summer of last year and looking into this fourth season, did you expect survival? Did you expect us to hit the heart? I guess, where did our finishing position um, reflect what your expectations of the season were? I think uh, I like to think of myself, maybe not a pessimist, but a bit of a realist. Uh, I know we've been in the league for a while now, but I'm still more than happy to come 17th every year. 
Um, sure, we'll come on to the transfer outlay and things like that later. But with the money we spend, the budget we've got compared to, to other teams in the league, staying up is a good season for us. And I, I would have been more than happy to to have finished roughly where we did the season before. I think we came 15th in the end, something like that. Comfortably above water without too many uh, too many problems and perhaps maybe with slightly uh, better first half of the season. So I think to finish where we did and uh, to get the points tally that we did was a, a really fantastic achievement. I think it a lot of it was down to perhaps having that bit more fitness than other teams, adjusting to the restart a lot better than other teams. I think we only lost the two games after the... Uh, after the restart and uh, we were just so good at grinding out those those little tight games nicking a goal keeping a clean sheet when we need to that kind of um, that that kind of ability and, and like I say the fitness that we've got I think that really served as well I think perhaps in a normal season we perhaps wouldn't have come quite as high I think the run that we had after the lockdown was phenomenal and uh, I don't know if we'd reproduce that under slightly different conditions but uh, yeah, overall fantastic. You get that little bit of extra money for finishing in the top half, a bit kudos. Second top half finishing three seasons. So yeah, for me, uh, unexpected, a really good result, a really fantastic season again. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely share some of those views. Um, Richard, do you do you mirror that expectation each year? I mean, I, Tom's nodding his own. There are a lot of fans who would be delighted to finish 17th every season and, and that is that is enough. And I think there's a difference between what your minimum expectation is and where realistically you want to push on as a club. But where do you where do you sit in that in that bracket? Um do you sit on the you know seventeenth and that's enough and happy to do that every season or you know do, are you wanting us to push for tenth each year? I think it's a good question. I'm very torn about this all the time. Obviously from a realistic point of view I think survival for us is key every year. Especially when you see teams like Villa for example spend so much money and only just survive on the last day of the season. But at the same time, you want to see your club progressing, as you referred to before, Natalie. It's our fifth straight season in the Premier League. Tom said we've had two seasons out of three in the top half. You know, we still, you know, we should be looking to kick on and, you know, and want to become a top half Premier League club. And I'm sure that's, you know, deep down what the club wants to do. And I know we're going to get on transfers later, but Surely, you know, we've come tenth in the Premier League. We're establishing it. We're establishing. We're established ourselves more and more. You know, isn't it the time to kind of maybe look at kicking on a little bit and and having those ambitions, not just to be happy to come seventeenth every year. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's where I sit on the fence, really. So my head says seventeenth, but you know, I really want us to start kicking on and acting like a mm-hmm. Premier League club more. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with with either of you there. I think I probably sit in between the middle of you both. I I think that the minimum we need to, to aim for each season is 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 survival. And if we do have a difficult season with one thing or another, if we have injuries or we have a tough season, we only finish seventeenth, then that's that's better than finishing eighteenth, obviously. Um, so that's a really good thing. But once we get to that level, um, we need to be pushing on and we need to be seeing what we can do in terms of survival, um, and, and just getting a bit higher up the table. I think I, I mentioned this last summer and I'm still very much of this view. I I tend to not look at positions, albeit I, I agree with you, Richard, that kudos of finishing the top half and top 10 is actually really nice when you look at that. But I, I've been saying for a while now that I wanted us to stop just focusing on getting to 40 points and, and, and safety. I wanted us to be realistically looking at 50 points as a minimum benchmark for each season. Like we need to get to 50 and that will be anything from... 10th to well look at the European season actually that got us 7th it just goes to show that last year that the league was a bit harder because it only got us 10th did the same number of points but I want to see us um the minimum we aim for is that 50 points mark we should see us somewhere between well around the middle of the table and, and, and pretty safe and of course what that then does is enable us the freedom to have a good Cup run. Um, again, we've got Sheffield United this week in the Carabao Cup, which is is going to be an, a non-entity for both sides, I'm sure of it. And Dash himself this week has said that you know it's just not as important as the Premier League, and there's, there's, I don't think anybody's even trying to to pretend that anymore. Um, but if we did get some safety, we could really have a go at some cups and try and get you know some competition and get some um, maybe even get to Wembley. That would be awesome. Um, 
Sticking with you, Richard, Tom did touch on this in his opening point about that phenomenal run that we had once Project Restart um, opened again in the last nine games of the season. Um, We didn't need this, of course, because actually, if you look at the table, we were already safe by the time the games commenced again for that City game. We didn't, we could have lost all nine and still survive. Oh, actually, was that the case? Because did we not play some of the relegated? Oh, actually, that might not be fully accurate because we might have gifted teams below us. I might have just given you a really false start there, guys. But but we were pretty much safe. We had enough points on the board. And out of the nine games we played, we won four, drew three, including a draw at Anfield, which was incredible, um, and only lost two games. How impressed were you, Richard, with the attitude and the technical ability of that team when they came back in those ridiculously um, strange circumstances? Oh, just absolutely massively impressed. You know, you had a lot of pride watching the team. As you referred to before, Natalie, there's been past seasons where we've got to 40 points and we've just really got on the beach. No, but this season we we had a massive fight. We had a lot of desire to come as high as you know as high as that we could. Um, you know, and with all the injuries that was going on, contract situations, I think it would have been easy for the players to down to a little bit, but they did it exactly the opposite um, and amid all the frustration of the manager, they really showed that they was playing for him. And some of the performances that we put in were fantastic. West Ham away, Crystal Palace away, especially Palace with a, such a depleted squad. You know, Peter's playing on the right wing. You know, you know, kept a kept a clean sheet, showed the spirit that we have got within the team. And for me, Liverpool away was just an absolute highlight. You know, Paul absolutely unbelievable that game. Made a few saves in the in the first half that really kept us in it. And then Jay scored a great goal, and we could have even won it with Gumbertson at the end. I think that Liverpool game, just a real shame that there was no fans in the stadium to really enjoy it. And I think it's quite yeah. nice that knowing that we're the only team, you know, to stop Liverpool from winning at Anfield uh, last season. So, you know, that's a that's a little good one you can give on the Liverpool fans if you ever say Burnley are very good. <laughs> yeah, when we get all the rubbish from, from Liverpool fans, we can just say, how was that unbeaten? Uh, how was that every win at home record or whatever they, they describe all season? We can give them some grief for that. Um, but a couple of things that I'm just picking up on from there, Richard, and, and Tom, I'll come to you on this. There are a couple of players especially who are absolute unsung heroes for me at the back end of that season. As Richard pointed out, Eric Peters having to play on the left side of midfield at one point was just absolute hero status confirmed. And of course, Josh Brownhill, who even ended up, he was on the he was played in the centre, he was in the right at times, he was all over the place as well. And these are just players who either have been pushed down to squad players and very much emergency cover, or from Brownhill's perspective, brand new players who've been brought in, obviously, as a future asset for the club, but have just been thrown in. And and, have, and essentially, to me, I think Brownhill's... Well, number one, I think he's he's replaced Hendrick, but I also think Cork might be in a little bit of trouble when he becomes fit. Um, do you kind of agree with that? Was there anybody else who, particularly in those nine games, you were impressed with? Yeah, two good picks there. Brownell's definitely the standout for me. I don't think he would have been expecting to play as much as he did. Uh, you know, quite often happens with our new sign-ins. They'll, they'll have to keep the heroes a bit before they, they get the chance in the team. Um, that was certainly the case before the lockdown, but he really took his, his chance and grabbed it with both hands. He looked like he'd been playing in the team his whole life, like you say. You know, he seems to know what job he's in the team to do. The similar kind of job to Hendrick, pressing, running about, that bit of quality on the ball, pick a pass through the midfield. Really, really impressed with him. So, really looking forward to seeing what he's going to be like next season. And I agree with you. I think um, I think he's a really good foil for uh, for Westwood if if we can get Johan fit and and play most games on the right hand side. Then to have a Brownie or Westwood midfield will have a lot of energy, a lot of legs in there. And I think. Probably Brownhill's got that bit more of an attacking thrust than, than Cork and Westwood, so it'll be interesting to see how we uh, how we shape up if we've got him in there instead of uh, instead of Cork. Uh, Peters as well, yeah, like you say, um, no fuss, uh, exactly the kind of player you want as a squad player. Uh, cheap, obviously, that's the the number one criteria <laughs> when it comes to squad mm. play. But, uh, Why say you that, man. Tom? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, come in, do a job, no fuss. He can be out for six weeks, then he can be asked to come in and play a completely different position, but he won't win, you'll just get on with it. And uh, mm. some really solid, consistent performances as well, so he's a really good asset for us. I think perhaps one player that I'd um, referring to mind as well, when you said about um, best performance in the lockdown, Rodriguez, I thought he had a really fantastic lockdown. <sighs> He'd been a bit in and out of the team. Um, 
Wood and Barnes, obviously, for a lot the first half of the season, keeping them out. And then Vidra seemed to be the guy who was emerging onto the scene. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't think off the top of my head now, but at least two 1-0 wins with Rodriguez scoring a big header. Uh, I thought he was fantastic in the, in, the, uh, in the lockdown as well. And I think Barnes is going to find it really hard to get back in the team as well. I think Wood and Rodriguez looks like a really good front too. Yeah, definitely. Our slight crossover then in, in terms of coming in was literally my next question that I had on the agenda was, but what about Jay? Um, Jay, for me, I'd, I agree with you, Tom, had a phenomenal uh, restart. And I, I I genuinely think that for me, Wood and, and Jay are the, the first choice strikers. Now, I can't, I, I love Ashley Barnes. And of course, he will do a job and he still has that particular style of play that we know and love and that we want to cause a nuisance to opposition defences. But you know, we've said this for a while now. We're trying to rebrand ourselves or improve the technical quality of the side. We don't want to just be known as, you know, a, a big great big bus that's parked in, you know, behind in front of Nick Port and just stopping people going in. And this direct football, this long ball that people throw at us all the time. We want to be demonstrating a little bit of flair. And I think players like Taylor Brownhill were starting to show that, um, and Jay as well. I just, I just think we've got some players in there who can really. And obviously we can't, we can't you know, look at Dwight McNeil as well, who's our god with that. Um, I, I just think it just adds up to just a little bit more entertainment. We do want to be entertained. We want to see some lovely football and we want to enjoy what we're watching um, as well as winning. So, yeah, I completely agree. Tom Jay was amazing. Um, Richard, how did you feel then? Now it's all, now the dust is settled and, of course, this is, this is now ongoing into next season as well. How do you feel about the absence from the grounds, the lack of live football. Are you finding it easy to get excited about the games? Do you look forward to it as much? Or I know I've seen a few fans who are just saying that when you take away the the romance of the live, you know, Saturday afternoon, three o'clock football and seeing it with your friends and your routines and your pies at half time, it's taken away a little bit of the magic of the football. Did you manage to get enough of excitement for the last of the last nine games to, to really keep your appetite? Yeah, listen, it's nowhere near as good as going to watch the games at the ground. It's, it's not just when you go watching your club, it's not just the 90 minutes at the stadium. You know, for me, it's about going with your family, uh, you, you know, and all that around it. Um, but yeah, of course, I, I was still excited for it personally. You know, really excited for us to get going on Sunday. Obviously, you know, we've had the you know the first round of fixtures, if, if you will, this weekend. So it was quite nice to watch the other teams in a way, you know, see who's looking strong, who's looking quite weak. And it makes you feel, you know, ready for this weekend's game. Of course, you know, wouldn't it be great, uh, you know, Leicester away, you know, to be going down there for the first game of the season. But it is what it is. It's better than having no football at all. You know, we're, we're in unprecedented times. But I think it will make it all the more special when we do get to go back to the stadium, whenever that is. Hopefully, it'll be sooner rather than later. But for sure, I'm definitely still excited for Sunday. Am I as excited as I would have been for a normal season start? Probably not. But that's not just to do with COVID reasons. There's other factors within the club that I do have frustrations with that have maybe dampened my excitement a little bit. But that's only a little bit, though. Well, but I think before we uh, move on to have a look at the, the start of this, the season and have a look through those hopes and expectations and actually start to look at the summer transfer window and what's been going on, I want to speak to you both about um, a rather hilarious um, little transfer, most not even transfer poll, it's, it's a summary questionnaire that we put out to all of our listeners to uh, basically give a off-the-wall end of season awards ceremony and we had a few categories in there so I'm going to talk you through the results of these it shouldn't take too long um, but these are going to be the results of the No Name Never Summer Questionnaire. So number one question number one that we sent to our listeners was unsung hero of the season now both of you we've just touched on that very briefly with the last nine games of the season but this is of course the whole season now it isn't just for um the the last nine games. So, quick answer from both of you, Tom. Your unsung hero. Uh, yeah, I touched on it before. I think I'd have to say Rodriguez. I think he was really good, really impressive. Yeah, Richard. Oh, a tough one, unsung hero. Um, I'd probably go Phil Bardsley. Um, he looked like he was going to leave the club. Ended up coming back and just a real solid performer. Um, 
even though it is a little bit frustrating that we've not got a right back in, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm quite happy for him to be right back uh, going into next season too. So yeah, Phil Bardsley. Fine. Well, our listeners agreed with you, Richard, and Phil Barsley with 36.7% of the votes got the unsung hero of the season. Very, very closely followed by Jay Rodriguez, who came just behind him on 33%. Um, and in third place, Eric Peters with 24%. So yes, our listeners agreed with you, Richard. Question number two. Oh, producer Matt's put a lot of play pictures at the end of the results. Mike, I... Ooh. Okay, excuse me, listeners, I'm just going to go through a gallery of player pictures. Um, question number two, Nick Pope's save of the season. And my goodness, there were quite a few of these to go through. He had a phenomenal season and should be England number one. Gareth Southgate, I know you listen to the None and Never podcast. Get him in the nets. Uh, Richard, you first, Pope's save of the season. Not just because it was the best save, but I'm going to go for the the, like, the penalty save versus Leicester. And that was a big turning point in our season, really. And and from that moment on, mm. once Westwood scored, you know, we we really turned it around. So yeah, the penalty save versus Leicester. Was that the Pratt one? No, that was Vardy's save. I don't know if that was ah, on the. Of I, don't know if that, it was. I don't know if that was on the list, but that's no, just one that stuck in my head. I, yeah. I can't. I know we did a preview of some of the people you mentioned before, but I can't remember any of them saves. So <laughs> <laughs> it's been that long ago. Wonderfully honest, Richard. I like it. Uh, Tom, do you have a Nick Pope save of the season? I really like the uh, the Hellair one because uh, I think that was one that kind of really showcased his his ability and just making himself big and just getting in the way, mm. uh, like it was a tap in really in that West Ham game. And and I remember watching it at the time and thinking, how has that just gone past the post? I knew he hadn't got yeah. a great record, Hellair, but I didn't think he'd have missed that one. And then you saw it from the other angle and it's a phenomenal reaction. So, yeah. so that, that's that's the one for me. Definitely. And actually, 5% of our listeners did. 5.71% of our listeners agreed with you, Tom. Um, but the winner was Mo Salah away at Liverpool. That got it with 46.67% of the votes. Um, Pratt, the Leicester um, save at home, was second place with 29.5%. And the uh, return fixture, Mo Salah at home against Liverpool, got third place place so there you go lots to choose from with Nick Pope and again I've got a gallery of pictures oh my goodness the more Salah home one Nick Pope looks like he's Superman right question number three in the end of season um off the wall awards alternative awards I think it's probably a better description um outrageous VAR decision either for or against us Tom back to you uh, you're making me angry just thinking about it now. Especially <laughs> thinking of the weekend coming thinking about it a lot. It's got to be the uh, the Chris Wood disallowed goal yeah. against Leicester. I didn't know what it was disallowed for at the time. I didn't know what it was disallowed for after watching it. And I'm thinking about John Moss refusing to to walk over and look at the screen still still rankles. So it's got to be that one for me. Yeah, definitely, uh, Richard. Yeah, I was going to say that one, but absolutely madness that that goal did got disallowed. So I'll go for something different. Just the whole incident with Bournemouth that obviously went for yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, Adam Smith handballed it. They went up the other other end and scored. Then they celebrated. Um, VAR, no goal penalty. We ended up battering them in the second half, which is always quite funny against Bournemouth. So yeah, I'll go for all that VAR incident uh, against Bournemouth in the second half. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I would have really felt sorry for them if it wasn't Eddie Howe. Regular listeners know my view on Eddie Howe. So, oh, how we laughed. Actually, I shouldn't laugh because that'll be us at some point in the future, I'm sure. But yeah, it was. Uh, I know Richard, uh, sorry, Tom actually disagrees with me on this because he's going to miss the guaranteed six points in the season. But I was, I was quite happy to see Eddie Howe go. Bye bye. Um, well, overwhelmingly, our listeners agreed with you. And with 76.9% of the votes, the Wood trip against Leicester was the most ridiculous VAR decision. Um, the rest of the votes were very miles behind. So I think second place with only 10% of the votes was uh, Wesley's offside against Villa. And um, yeah, the, the the whole Smith handball Bournemouth debacle came in third at eight point six five. So yeah, our listeners are very much on point with our panel this evening. And again, pictures. Oh God, Tom, if you could see what I could see now, you can see the trip against from oh last again. That make you even more angry. Um, question number four. Then <laughs> I like this one. This was Matt's idea. Uh, producer Matt, Tarkis anti-football. Brackets biggest SHIT house moment of the season. Now, this is obviously in um, the absence of our regular 
anti-footballer Ashley Barnes, who normally isn't a contender for this one this season and, and is our resident winder-upper of our position. But Tarkin very much took uh, the manager this season and, and went for it. Um, Richard, do you have a particular favourite of, of Tarkin's uh, slight house moments? I'm going to say the word. Yeah, they, yeah they, this was a great category. I've got to go for the one where he absolutely flattened Ryan Fraser. Great, uh, <laughs> yeah, really went through the back of him, him. And, and then when I think you've seen some of Ryan Fraser's antics recently, not playing for Bournemouth, and then you know coming defending himself, being quite arrogant, I think it made it even more sweeter. So yeah, tacky on Fraser. And Tom, oh, I've got a couple. The one where he uh, he shouts in Tara and Ming's ear <laughs> while he's lying crumpled on the floor is a good one. I think we should show you that clip to Gareth Southgate. I might make him think twice. But my favourite one for me, I think, is when he nutmeg Richardson and. Um, the reason I picked that one is because I noticed Richarlison responded to that image on Twitter the other day by posting a load of him photos of him celebrating goals against us from three years ago. And the fact that that needled Richarlison that much, even six months on, is what, what wins that one for me. Fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely uh, endeared himself to many of our fans as talking this season. Well, all of those were actually mentioned, but again, with, with, with a quite a big majority, uh, which is one that you didn't mention, was um, the Zahar ball throw, uh, which was just hilarious and ended up being a, a gif on Twitter for ages and was just it was just hilarious. Just look on his face, we're just to give it him and then just chunks it away. It's just, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, second place was that Tyrone Mings one, Richard, so that came in at 26.53% and uh, the Richarlison nutmeg um, would you get third place actually Tom so that was uh, in at 9.18 so we'll talk about this in the transfer section but let's let's hope to God that young Tarky is with us next season and we can have a look at this category again next year and long may he wind other people up um is there another one? Oh gosh this is uh yeah this is a this is the last one question number five are we on um miss of the season now this was probably quite a hard one, actually, because I don't remember looking back this season on one where we wasted a lot of chances or missed a lot of chances. I actually feel that that's an area on the pitch we're really improving on. Um, we've been guilty in previous seasons of being quite wasteful with passes and quite wasteful with chances. Um, so whilst we might not have created as many as a lot of the teams in the division, I think our conversion rate was pretty good this season. Um but Richard, let's start with you first. Do you have a particular miss of the season that stands out? Yeah, just one for me, the Rodriguez miss against Arsenal at home. So nil nil about ten minutes to go. Yeah. Um cross come over, just it hit the bar. And it would have been brilliant to beat Arsenal uh, you know, after so many failed attempts. And we really played well that game. So yeah, um, Rodriguez's miss against Arsenal. Yeah, that was mine as well. Um Tom, what about you? Uh, the one that stands out for me, 1-0 up against Sheffield United, 15 minutes to go. Oh. The England's second best keeper, Dean Henderson, spilled shots at the feet of McNeil and he drags <laughs> it just past the post when it was easier to score. And maybe if we win that, if we score that and we win that, maybe we would have kicked on and got Europe. So, yeah, that one's still fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you, our panellists tonight have taken some talky shithouse pills. I think you've been, uh, you're both getting very sappy tonight. I love it. Um, well, actually, the one that got um, a phenomenal amount of, of votes, actually, with 67.35%, was the Wood, Chris Wood miss at home to Wolves, actually. That's the one that, that got most people's votes. Um, the Rodriguez uh, miss against Arsenal and the McNeil against Sheffield United were very, very close. Um, Rodriguez with 16.3% in second place and McNeil in third with 13.7%. So, yeah, I think uh, uh, yeah, I think there'll be some of those that they won't want to, to look back on, will there? Um, oh, and actually, when I've, when I've scrolled through the gallery of, of misses, um, oh, God, yeah, that J1. Oh, Jay. Um, the final question then. Um, oh, this is a nice one to wrap it up with, actually. Producer Matt did well with this survey. Um, moment of the season. What was your favourite moment of last season? Uh, I think for me, it was the Jay Rodriguez volley at Old Trafford, or half volley, whatever you want to call it. But that shot smashing off the bar. That's one of those pure, unbridled joy football fan moments. Absolutely lost my head after the results that we'd had at Old Trafford, you know, being mm. 2-0 up in the last two seasons, to actually get it over the line was was fantastic. Burnley-born Burnley player doing it at Old Trafford. Yeah, brilliant. That was my moment of the season. Yeah, that was a really good one. Oh, I'm getting all the feels. Um, Tom, uh, sorry, Richard, sorry, what's, what was your moment of the season? Yeah, I don't think you can look really past that Rodriguez one, but I'll just put another one. So, yeah, just as I mentioned before, for me, I in, 
the by far the best game at Turf Moor for me this season. Just the Leicester one. So yeah, just the full penalty save, and then when Westwood scored that goal, um, I yeah. thought the atmosphere was brilliant in that game, and it was just a real turning point in the season. And then I think the Wednesday uh, was the, I think the United game on the Wednesday was the game after the Leicester one. So you know, two games that you might be thinking we're going to get zero points from would have been really in a relegation battle. We end, we ended up winning both of them. So yeah. Yeah, it was a good week, wasn't it? Then it felt like everybody was back on, on the same page and that the team was doing well. And and yeah, we we really changed the focus of the team. So I would agree with you. Um, and actually, both our listeners put those two as their top two. Um, the Rodriguez goal at Man United was the the favourite with thirty seven point three seven percent of the vote, and the Port penalty save against Leicester slightly behind it with thirty four point three four. But they did also mention our listeners mentioned a couple of other moments of the season which they categorised coming in in third place was. A good week, a good and a difficult week for poor Ben Mee, um, you know, all around the, 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 the restart again. He had to come out and face the, the media after the plane was thro- flown over Manchester City. Um, he gave an incredibly eloquent speech and really did our club proud in terms of representing the players and the views and just being a voice for change. Um, I think he got a lot of, of respect for his, his comments there, so that was really good. And around that same time, it had come out where his wife had given birth to their second child who was born prematurely and they were obviously having some um to deal to deal with that at home and, and having a brand new baby in a house is obviously a, an exciting but difficult time anyway but to have one that's obviously needing a little bit of extra care and um, to have to stand up and do all of that while he was still dealing with things at home was impressive um but then he went on to to score the winner um at the palace game so i think a lot of our um our listeners are, are very much giving Ben Mee some some credit for that period of his captaincy and defining that as a moment of the season. And then the, the last one, which I love, and I think this might be my favourite of the season, actually, was uh, Matty Vidra's goals, particularly the first one. And I'll never forget. And actually, this was your sister, Tom, actually, on, who, who first tweeted this, and I just loved it massively. Um, he was so happy, and he just went and hugged everybody. And all of the bench, when he scored his first goal, all of the bench were on him. The players went up to him. The fans were going mad. You know, there'd been them fans who'd been chant- chanting his name for ages when Dyke just didn't want to play him. Um, and it just felt like a really nice moment. And the bit that your sister tweeted was the, the section of the interview when he was talking about celebrating with all my mates. And I was just like, oh, this is too much. Um, and he was just incredibly um, happy. So that was probably mine of the season. So, so yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a good way to end last season, I think, and, and end our recap. I think... It was a really good season and it was a good season for many reasons and it had its normal challenges that we're used to facing as a Premier League outfit, the the challenges that Dash is used to facing. Um, we're entering into a new era now, I think. We've had, this is our fifth consecutive season in the Premier League. We've got unrest talks behind the club. We've got transfer debacles again. We've got reports in the press of how, you know, Mike Garlick and Sean Dyche are not even on speaking terms anymore. I don't really know how they know that, but there you go. Um, we've got a little bit of anti-feeling against Burnley and people just saying, oh, they're nothing without Dyche. They're just going to get relegated and go away and people wanting us to, to get out of the Premier League, especially with teams like Leeds coming up. And, you know, the, the football purists want Leeds to be in the Premier League and not the likes of Burnley. So we're going through a new phase and it's one that the fans and the management and the players and the board are going to have to address head on and see how we protect the brand of Burnley Football Club and protect our club and just make sure that we're all together and we're all on the same page and we're not torn apart. Um so with that, we will go straight into, and I'll start with you, um, Tom, we'll start straight into the absolute merry-go-round, can't keep up with it, and just highly exciting summer transfer window that Burnley has gone through so far. So, Tom, let's start. Outgoings. We have lost six players so far out of a side that, bearing in mind, couldn't fill a bench for the first game back after lockdown. We obviously lost Hendrick. He's gone to Newcastle on a three-year deal. Oh, and he set up a goal and scored in his first game, which was just lovely. Um, Joe Hart, we knew he was going to go anyway, but he's gone currently without a club, but I think he's still looking. Um, Lennon's gone and has gone abroad. Forgive me, listeners, I can't remember where Aaron Lennon's gone. Um, Gibson, bizarrely, has now gone on loan to Norwich, um, not to Borough, and 
we expect that to become permanent after a while, depending on performance. Um, Aidan O'Neill has come back from loan from his Australian outfit and then has gone back again. I think he's signed for them now. And um, forgive the terrible pronunciation, but we've lost a second keeper being Leds. Legs Dins. I'm so sorry. I don't know how to pronounce that. So, Tom, out of those, I think we're probably okay with losing most of them apart from Hendrick and Gibson. Do you think that's a fair summary? Yeah, I think he expected Hart to go. Yeah, I think he has got a club, by the way. I think he's at Tottenham now. So he's uh, obviously oh my God, a massive desire to play first-team football. Of course. Yeah. I've completely forgotten he, about that. He's obviously first-team football. He's gone to Spurs. So, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he's no lost. Uh, Lennon, he's going somewhere in Turkey. Oh, I couldn't tell you what team. Uh, uh, he wasn't playing anyway. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Hendrick is is the big miss. Um, obviously, like we said, we've got Brownell to replace him, but then it's like who do you replace Brownell because we needed another midfielder. So that's a body that we've lost, and obviously we paid ten million for him, and he's gone on a free. So it's not great business financially either. I don't think. On the pitch, he's a massive loss. I would have kept him myself, but I'm not devastated that he's gone from a playing point of view. But yeah, from a squad point of view, a financial point of view, he needs to be replaced. Gibson, I think I think Gibson, he might as well have left already. And uh, I think in spirit, he's he's long since gone. Obviously, we know his heart lives in Middlesbrough. Um, I noticed he's was on the bench on Saturday for Norwich. What a shame that was. Um, but yeah, hopefully he can uh, he can get a few games there. I'm very much rooting for Norwich to get promoted this season because then they're obligated to uh, to take him off our hands. So, fingers crossed they can do us a favour there. Say that again, sorry, Tom. What What's that? I, I missed that. So, if, if Norwich are obligated to take him off our hands, if what? Yeah, so there's a clause in his loan deal that means if they get promotion, then they have to, to buy him. Ah, okay. I think Leeds had a similar one. They had Augustin. Augustine. They, they, when they got promoted, they had to buy him for £50 million, even though he never played for them. So uh, yeah, I think that I think that's that what I've read. That's the same with yeah. Gibson. So you know, I had no strong feelings about who got played. Now I want Norwich to go up very much. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be amazing. Yeah, no, I completely agree with those. Um, Richard, focusing then on on the Hendrick one. I mean, Hendrick's had a rough time at Burnley, and I, I still maintain to this day that he should have he should have left with more of a hero status than he did. He was. He really put it in for us and the fans hated him, but the vast majority of the time, sorry, the fans didn't hate him. A lot of the fans didn't have an awful lot of patience for him and he got a lot of grief. But the vast majority of the time, he was having to play out of position. He was in and out of the side. He was never really settled. Um, It seems crazy to me that the deal wasn't done because Hendrick wanted three years and the board wouldn't commit to three years for essentially somebody who's going to be a squad player and who's going to be on the bench. Do you agree with Tom? Would you have fought more to keep Hendrick or do you think actually it's probably fine that he's gone? Hendrick's a bit of an enigma isn't he with people um, going back to playing out of position it, I think he played right midfield because he wasn't in my opinion anyway good enough to play in central midfield one thing I'll say about Hendrick is at times he, he was very frustrating giving the ball away cheaply but he gave absolutely 100% every single game and you can't really knock someone who was doing that? And I think before lockdown, he was starting to have a run of games in that right midfield. And I think he was starting to really get into get into it and play well. For me, it seems just really bizarre that Dyche wanted him to stay. Before, you know, to me, I think Hendry would have stayed if the if the right offer was on the table. I can't imagine Hendry would have gone and demanded massive, massive amounts of money per week. And looking at how hard it is to replace him now and how much he's going to cost us. It just seems a bizarre decision that we've not kept him. I think if you've got our strongest midfield and Gunmanson's fit, he probably doesn't start in the team. But as the season gets on, injuries come. He's just a reliable player. And, and, and Dyche knows what he's going to get off him. He's going to work really hard. You know, And then you see, you know, playing for Newcastle, he's always got that moment in quality where he can produce a really good goal. It's a shame he probably doesn't do it enough. But yeah, that's my stance on him, really. In terms of what Tom was saying, on the pitch, I would say it's a massive, massive loss. I don't think it's, you know, we didn't see, like when Hendrick didn't play for us, you know, post-lockdown, it didn't make a massive difference. But from a financial point of view, it was poor business. And looking now how hard it is for us to replace him, it seems a real strange one that the board kind of didn't budge a bit more and give him a little bit more money or give him Mm. a slightly 
extended contract, contract especially because you could clearly tell Daesh really wanted him. Yeah, definitely. See how annoyed Daesh was when Hendrik didn't get off of that contract. So it's just such a massive risk on loads of different points for the board just to let Hendrik's contract run down on a free when they're so yeah. frugal with, with money normally. Yeah, no, definitely. And also the whole the whole Gibson situation as well, and we'll come on to this in a moment. I, I think one of the, the complaints about the, the recruitment, again, is down to, to the financial impact. And you think, well, you've not half wasted some money. You know what I mean? It's like for a club that's supposed to be so tight on the books and, and every every deal has to be right and we have to stick within a very rigid you know, financial structure at the club, then you think, well, you do make some stupid mistakes and you do waste some money. So, but never mind. Um, Richard, sticking with you, um, we haven't really got much to talk about in terms of, of incomings. We have signed uh, a third goalkeeper. So we are now back up to three keepers with Nick Pope, Bailey Peacock, Farrell, who, who's been playing really well, actually, international level, we're told, for Northern Ireland, is it? Um, so he's probably one to look out for. And I think Leeds fans are still saying he's, he's going to be a really great keeper. But we've signed a uh, 27-year-old Will Norris from Wolves on a three-year deal, so he's going to be third choice keeper behind those two. So we have um, we have expanded our goalkeeping. We don't have five anymore, but we have three, so that's fine. Um, and whilst it's not a new signing, I am quite encouraged by this, Richard, in the the promotion, I guess, to the first team ranks of, of Jimmy Dunn, the centre centre half, who's come through the youth team and is now um, very much pictured. He's got a squad number, and he is he does now appear on the the first team squad, and he's been getting some games pre season as well, and think people are very much um, highlighting his performances, particularly against Preston North End, that were impressive. Um, irrespective of where we go this season and what happens with Target, it's it's nice to see um, a youth player starting to, to come up the ranks, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't know a lot about him, obviously. And I think as well, Bobby Thomas has played centre-half. I think he's a 19-year-old lad from Liverpool who, who they think is highly rated. I don't know, I'm, I'm torn on this done one. He went on loan. He, he had a couple of loan spells at Sunderland and Fleetwood um, in League One, and, and they certainly didn't rave about him at all. But obviously, that could be for a number of different factors. You've seen it at Sunderland, you know, just from watching the documentary. It's absolute uh, chaos up, up up there. In my opinion, though, we're still short of a centre half. Kevin Long comes in and does a good job, but I think he should be a fourth choice centre half, the one who plays not as many games in the season. You know, say Tarky goes off injured on Saturday and you've got Jimmy Dunn and Kevin Long at centre-half, I think we look really, really weak there. We, we had to let Gibson go, even though he's unfortunate because of the circumstances. You know, we've signed 50, again, you're looking at a business point of view, 15 million from a player, you've hardly got anything from him and he's been shipped out on loan. So, yeah, I don't know enough about him to really make a judgment, but for me, he's the next in line to be mm. centre-half and Kevin Long starting on Saturday yeah, shows I that agree. we're not in a good position at centre-half, even though it's encouraged. I'm more en- en- encouraged about Bobby Thomas coming through, who I've heard a, a lot about, but obviously he's not ready yet. Yeah, still very young, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. So, well, I guess while we talk about the defence, we may as well address the, the horrible elephant in the room, Tom, and the... The rumours that have been plaguing us the entire summer of, of talking going, um, this this kind of came about not necessarily from bids, but from an article that that an interview that Tarky gave in the Times was it the Telegraph or was it in the Guardian one of the two where he basically vocalises frustration of just being completely alienated from the England side and quite rightly as well and basically expressing his desire to play club football at the highest level um, European Champions League if he wants to and cementing himself in that England side um, it was clear to everybody who who read that article that that Jeff definitely meant that given that he's not getting picked for England while he's at Burnley and we're obviously not at European level, but that meant that his time at Burnley was probably coming to an end. Um, now, Tom, I don't think he did it in a snaky way. I certainly wasn't angry at him for the interview. I think he, he got his point across very well. And we kind of always knew that we wouldn't be able to keep hold of him forever. That said, neither West Ham nor Leicester appear to be wanting to meet our release clause of 50 million for him so I'm going to put two questions to you on one hand we don't want to lose him because he's a great player but on the second hand when are we ever going to 
get an opportunity financially to get fifty million pounds for a player? What camp do you sit in? Yes, yeah, it's, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because the other thing that that goes into the mix is that he's only got two years left on his contract. So if we keep him for another year now, he doesn't sound like he wants to sign a new deal. Uh, you're not going to get anything like fifty million for him when he's got a year left on his contract next summer. But on the other hand, for Tarkovsky, he's what is he, 27 now, 28. So he's going to be coming up to 30 at the end of that contract. He's only going to have one big contract left him at that point. So it might be better for him now to, to leave rather than sitting and, and running it down another 12 months. So you can see why he's thinking the way he is. Um, I don't think it's just about money. I'm sure he's, he's writing what he's saying about that he wants to play European football. And obviously, he's more than good enough to be in the England team. And you have to think that maybe it's the club that he plays for that's holding him back a little bit. So I think from the club's point of view, I think it would be a big blow to sell him in the situation that we're in because it doesn't look as if, if we were to sell him, that we'd have a replacement lined up and he'd be a big miss, especially because we are already weak at centre-half. So you wouldn't want to bring, with all due respect, along. I think he did really well at the, the end of last season as well. I think he could have been another one of the unsung heroes section, actually. But he... I don't think he's anywhere near as good as Tarkovsky to play a 38-game Premier League, excuse me, <laughs> Premier League season. So you'd have to be bringing in a replacement and you'd have to be doing it very quickly. And with the glacial pace that our transfer activity moves at, <laughs> I wouldn't be confident in doing that. So you'd have to say, you know, if West Ham or Leicester come to us with a £40 million check, brilliant, cash that. But is it is that better than the £100 million that we'll get if we keep Tarkovsky and we stay up comfortably. No. It's not. So it's a really difficult decision from that point of view. I'd like to think that maybe they've got a deal lined up, maybe for someone like Warrell at Nottingham Forest, whereby if we do sell him, if West Ham or Leicester do cough the money up, and I can't see him going to West Ham because he's not going to play in the Championship next year. That's not going to help his England ambitions. <laughs> so if, let's say if Leicester... <laughs> so let's say if Leicester do cough the money up, um, and should I mean bloody hell? They got forty-five million yeah. for Chilwell, eighty million for Maguire. Stick your hands in your pocket. Yeah, definitely. If they if they do pay the money Tarkovsky, I would say probably forty million pounds on the provisor that we can get a replacement in quick shot before the window shuts. And if that's Warrell at Forest, Dyer seems to like him. Um, I'd, I'd be happy with that. Then I think that's the best deal for all parties. But. I don't think there's much to be gained from selling him in January. Um, and I, I don't think there's much to be, to be gained selling him for less than £40 million if we don't have a replacement lineup. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more with all of that, Tom. And I, I, don't, I genuinely don't know where I sit with this. I don't know how I feel. Um, it feels, it, in some respects, it feels almost negligent to let a player just wind his contract down who you could potentially got £50 million for when all we hear about from the club is that finances are tight and that you know we haven't got player transfer and you think well you have that ability to do it but then on the flip side I also think well there's no way there's not a cat and L's chance that that board are going to spend £50 million on a squad so actually what's the point we might as well keep him and stay up um, I will be annoyed beyond words if he goes to somewhere like West Ham because I just don't think I think it's a backward step at the moment um, I have no problem at all if he goes to a team like Leicester um, I think that will massively further his career I think he will play exceptionally well under Brendan Rodgers and I think just the style of football that they play there I think he'll learn so much and he'll develop so well in the, the final parts and I think that will be enough to push him in, back into the England team where I want him in there I want him in the England squad um, as devastated as I will be um, if he goes to Leicester and I think you're right if, if he get a replacement in actually I think the, the Dawson rumours are circulating again aren't they they always seem to come around we have a, a very small bank of players that always get linked to us whenever there's a position free um, so yeah I'll be I'll be annoyed beyond words um, if he goes to somewhere for less than I'm going to say 45 actually I don't even think, I don't even think 40 is enough for him I think less than 45 and without a replacement, I think will be criminal. And I want that money investing in the squad. I think the board's got some serious answers to to our questions if if they, that money doesn't get reinvested. Um, Richard, uh, yeah, sorry, Richard, you must be hugely frustrated as we all are in the fact that the you know the Premier League season's already started, albeit we had a free pass week one, and we're still no sign of any incoming players. And in fact, the message coming out from Sean Dyche is that well, there's no deals on the table anywhere. And, you know, and again, apparently, apparently the main difficulty is finance yet again. It is like bloody Groundhog's 
window. Every single window we hear this. And Daesh always talks, you know, it gets asked directly, why are we leaving things so late? And he gives the same woolly answers about, you know, the players got to be the right fit, the numbers have got to crunch, it's a difficult market, we can't compete with other people. And I'm just so sick of hearing it. Um, did you, ex- well, two questions, Richard. Did you expect it to be any different this summer? And secondly, moving on to how we progress from here, is this a turning point for us now? I didn't expect it to be any different uh, in terms of I knew money would be tight. Even though you do hope that it will be different, I'm really kind of trying to stay positive and 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 stay rational by thinking, listen, there's been a pandemic. You know, we, we've kind of not brought money into the squad really in a while in terms of players' fees. But at the same time, something else that frustrates me is we've let a lot of players go. We've been on big wages. We've lost Hendrick. We've lost Lennon, who were two midfielders. Cork's obviously got probably more of a serious ankle injury than people are saying. And we've not, to me, it's criminal that we, you know, we're going to come on Sunday and we're dead. We're not going to sign anyone. So when you know, when we won't have signed a midfielder, you know, and it's all well and good saying, oh, Gunmanson and Brady's fit. You know, Gunmanson's a good player. Brady, to me. I know Tom likes him and he might shout at me. You know, watched him for Ireland. Brady just looks way off the pace to be a Premier League footballer now. Um, hope I'm proven wrong. Yeah, it's massively frustrating. It's I know in the past we've not done too well with the loan market. I I don't think we should just write that off completely. The, as has been mentioned a lot on social media and in the press, the seems you've got obviously the board, Mike Rig and Dyche, and the seems that there's disagreements there. Uh, People are blaming Mike Rigg, but at the end of the day, it's his job to identify targets. He's not the one who kind of has the final say. I might be wrong on that. I might be wrong. Um, I don't. Again, I don't really know enough about it. An obvious one for me is to dip into the foreign market more. Players are, are cheaper, they're more value for money. Wages are going to be cheaper. But obviously, I think that comes down to Daish's reluctance a little bit too. You know, trust those types of players. You know, you've even seen it with Vidra, even Defoe coming in the first season, he hardly played. We've got a month, I think there's a month left. I think 15th of October is when the actual domestic window finishes. Um, I think it's the 5th, actually, isn't it? I, I thought it was a week later for domestic. Have they pushed it back again? Well, uh, I think okay. for like foreign, there's, it's then, but I think it's a week later. I might be wrong right, again, okay. but whenever it is, there's a little bit of time left, but we, we we really need to start doing something. We need a minimum of three players, and you know we well, said. Well, that was going to be my next question, Richard. Where, where do where do we need before you move on to that? Where do we need cover? What do you, where do we need? Well, we definitely need a midfielder. For me, we need two midfielders. We need another winger and another central midfielder. I don't expect we'll sign two midfielders. We'll probably sign someone similar in the ilk of Brownhill, who could maybe kind of cover both positions. We obviously need a centre-back. You know, we've got young lads there in reserve now. Ben Mee's got an injury. Hopefully, it's not soon, but that could be another... You know what, Dyson and his injuries are like. They, they, can, they can take longer than anything to come back. So, yeah, to me, we need two midfielders. We need a central defender. And we obviously need a right-back because we've got Bardsley, even though we can do a job, but he's ageing. And we've got Lawton, who, for me, is not good enough anymore. His absolute heart and his soul to the club. So we do need four players at a minimum, but I honestly can't see us getting more than two. Just so frustrating. You know, we've been in the Premier League now. They said it's our fifth year. I know there's other clubs who's got massive billionaire owners banking them, and Garlic, you know, he's not got that wealth. But at the same time, surely we could go out there and, and you know push it a little bit, you know, to you know to get players in. Or, you know, to be a little bit more creative and be a little bit more open-minded. I've seen Conor Gallagher's going on loan to West Brom. Uh, you know, was on, I watched him on loan for Swansea and Charlton a bit last season. He's a really, really good player. He's a good attitude. Mm. He'd work hard. But Dice doesn't seem, you know, maybe he's gone off loans, especially since what happened with Drinkwater last season. Yeah. You listen, I'll keep the faith as I always do. You know, I like to be an optimist. We'll sign a couple of players, but who knows of the quality that they'll, that they'll be. I don't imagine assigning anybody big, big money that's really going to improve the starting eleven. No. 
No, but then we do say that. It's very difficult, Tom, isn't it? Because we say this every season. This isn't the first transfer window that we've had this debacle. But we do seem to find these gems. And, and Dyche does have this incredible ability to get the best out of his players. I think that's worrying me more than anything is I think the starting eleven and the players that we have got in the side um, are all, they're all fine and they're all good players. But you just go on to that. You look at the squad and it is so, so small now and it you know we've been relatively lucky in some of the seasons that we've stayed up that we haven't had injury problems but we are starting the season without Ben Mee without Ashley Barnes without Jack Cork they are three that not three players that not so long ago were key players for us and I don't think that you know we've got some some positions that, that those places are improved particularly up front now um, and obviously Brownhill's doing a good job for Cork but in defence that Losing Ben Mee leaves us horribly exposed, as, as Richard said. Um, if I'm going to literally address this head on. If we don't improve and we don't bring at least two decent players in before this window closes, are we in serious trouble and serious danger of relegation this year? Uh, I think it would depend on what injuries we got and who got them. So, for example, if we got a couple of injuries up front, I think we're pretty well stocked in that area. I don't think we'd be that unsettled. If you've got an injury at full-back, we've got two of each there. If you've got an injury out wide, you've got players you can slot in there. I think the big losses will be Pope. I mean, like you say, if you peak off Harris played well for Northern Ireland, but is he ready for the Prem? He's never sure. played a Premier League game. Uh, Tarkovsky, obviously, will be a massive miss. Um and uh, McNeil as well. I think he'd be hard to replace because, as you say, the other wingers aren't aren't really that fit or don't don't aren't consistent enough that we can't, we can't rely on thirty games out of Goodmanson or Brady. <clears throat> so, that if we got injuries to key players, I think we would be struggling. <clears throat> I'm not pessimistic enough to think that we won't get two or three bodies in before the end of the transfer window. And I think we only need two or three bodies. I think in terms of worries about relegation, you've got to remember how we finished last season. You've got to remember the teams that we finished True. comfortably above. Are, are you going to get six or seven of them who have improved enough to go above us this season? We were miles above West Ham. They were absolutely rubbish on the first day of the season. We'll finish above them comfortably. I'm pretty yeah. confident, even if they get two or three in. Crystal Palace, they haven't particularly strengthened. I think we'll finish above them. West Brom and Fulham look like fodder coming up already. I don't think we'll struggle to finish above them. Uh, Brighton, I don't think we'll struggle to finish above them. There's four or five teams that you look at and yeah, think we are true. better than them. And I think unless you do that... <laughs> key long-term injuries to those players I don't think we're in trouble of a relegation battle this season I think the problem that you have is if we continue to not invest then you're in the situation where you know when we sold Michael Keane we had Tarkovsky stepping in off the conveyor belt if we sell Tarkovsky in the summer who's stepping in nobody so they need to get those foundations in place now they need to buy a few more tailors Tarkovsky's the popes the kind of players that we bought in and Dash is saying it's getting harder and harder to buy them for small amounts of money. It is, of course. We, you know, I'm not expecting us to get an England keeper for a million pound. But what we should be looking at doing for me is we should be looking at someone like Bogle, who Sheffield United have just signed, a young lad to fin at right back. Then when you sell, when Barza goes at the end of the season, or you sell Loughton, you've got someone yeah. who can step up and and fit in there. I think that's what they bought Brownhill for and he's gone in a bit earlier than they expected but he obviously that's turned out to be a really good bit of business and they got him on the tee that's what they need to be looking at doing for me they need to be getting two or three in like that I don't think the starting 11 needs a massive amount of work I don't think, I think if we bought nobody for the starting 11 in this summer we'd still stay up comfortably and as I say that's the target for us every season realistically speaking I know it'd be lovely to kick on and finish top half again me I'm not particularly bothered if we stay up we've had a good season for me and I don't think we need to buy anyone for the starting eleven to do that. But what really worries me is if we don't put a bit of money down now, and I'm not talking twenty million, I'm talking ten million pound players like Brown Hill, like Taylor. If we don't put some money down now for right back for midfield for out wide, like Richard says, in in the summer we're gonna have a big problem. And we can't we can't sign nobody on that basis when we we are gonna have to put some money down for somebody. That said, I'm I am confident we will do it. I'm confident we'll pull it out before the end of the window. But if we don't that I'd be worried about relegation maybe a year down the line, especially if we get the situation where Ash might be gone in a year and it's it's looking yeah. more and more likely. Excellent summary. Yeah, go ahead, Richard. Could I just add some, something that we really need to address as well? And I know it was tweeted that Dice is, com- is confident on it. We've got so many key players and squad players out of contract yeah. next season. 
you know, Westwood Court, just two off the top of my head. You know, we really need to get those players tied down to, you know, tied down in deals. We can't have a situation where a Hendrick goes for free. So Tom was saying, uh, we need to 100% agree. We need to get young players in to complement what we've got. But if then players that we've got here in our starting eleven don't sign new contracts, then we're, then we're in even more trouble. So I think that's something that is also key and really needs to be addressed as, as soon as possible. Yeah, you're both absolutely right. Well, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it off there because we've ended up talking a, a lot about some of the the sections in, in the um, in the early parts of the podcast, and I don't want to I don't want this to run massively over an hour. Um, but what I just want to to close off, I want from both of you, um, just very basic expectations of the three limbs this season. So what's your what's your basic? Keep it brief. What's your expectation for Premier League? What's your expectation for the League Cup? What's your expectation from the FA Cup and Richard we'll start with you just to give Tom a bit of a breather so for Thursday's prediction yes uh, not, necessarily, well, a predi- not no. necessarily a prediction but what your hopes are what your hopes next oh, listen we want a good cut run don't we um, we've, we've been starved at that for a while I think we'll play a reasonably strong team because we've got no other option <laughs> I can't really see you know like like you were saying before does for me it's a perfect opportunity the last thing you want is Tarky getting injured on on Thursday, so it's an ideal situation. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy Dunn comes in, maybe, you know, maybe a Josh Benson plays in central midfield. Some of your more experienced, younger players. Um, yeah, I've got no idea what the score will be. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't know what Sheffield United is, but yeah, fingers crossed for a good whole good cup run. But my what I would like to see from Thursday is some of the younger lads get a game who who, who have probably played quite well in pre season. And for no key players to get injured. Yeah. What about longer term then? Very quickly, Richard. What What are your? You know, do you? You obviously you've, you've covered cup runs. So we're going to do that. What is your? What's your hopes for the Premier League? As, as, as Tom was saying, you know, first and foremost, you, know, you have got to be realistic with everything that's going on. If we stay up and it's a successful season, I, I think we've got enough. Um, you know, to stay. You know, to come mid table again. As Tom was alluding to before, we, we have got we can't forget amidst all the frustrations about the transfer window, we've got some very very good players who a lot of Premier League teams, maybe below the top six or some in the top six, would definitely have in their starting eleven and in their team. We've got for me the best, you know, the top three manager in the league. You know, the 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 players that they're going to give absolutely everything. So that still gives me a lot of optimism for the season. If I said now a position, I'll go with 13th. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. Um, Tom, obviously, we, we'll finish off with you then. I think I don't think we probably need to cover the Premier League. I think you, you covered that um, eloquently enough in your uh, last segment. So I guess just a final thing for you. What are your hopes for the Cups for this season? Yeah, I think a lot's going to depend FA Cup wise on where we are in the league in January and what we do squad wise. So I think the League Cup, I've written that off already. I don't think we're going to put Excellent. much of a team out for that. And I don't think we really care if we win or not. <laughs> so enjoy paying tenner for that on Thursday, everybody. Um, <laughs> for the Prem, uh, sorry, for the FA Cup, I'd like to think that if we're in a reasonable position, if we are sort of comfortably mid table in January, is something that we look at and kick on in, especially if we've got two or three bodies that can play. What I worry about is I don't know if Dyche really instills them with the real motivation, even if we do put a strong team out in those games. So it'll be nice to maybe get a couple of easy draws, uh, you know, kind of scrape through rounds three and four without too many problems, and then look around and see, actually, we're okay in the league. Let's give this a go. So... I'll be an optimist and hope that's the scenario that plays out. Excellent. Well, that is all we have time for this week. It's ended up being a little bit longer than I think we expected, but there's been quite a lot to talk about. So that is that is it. That is that is our summary of last season, our look ahead to next season. And just, it just feels nice to be back. It feels nice to be back in some regular formal podcasts rather than a bit of an ad hoc situation we had going on out, coming out of lockdown during the summer. Um, so with that in mind, both myself and Dave Statman Roberts will be back with a preview show at the weekend ready for Leicester um, on Sunday so do keep an eye out for that I think we've got a slightly different format this season albeit I've yet to find out what Dave has in store so that's going to be exciting um, it might be a little chaotic on, on, on Friday I think because I don't really know what my script's going to be yet Dave will write it um, but yeah we, we hope to be back um, next week to, to look ahead at hopefully a win um, in the next round of the Cup 
against Sheffield United and hopefully three points on the board against Leicester. That would be a lovely start to the season. And you never know, we might have a few incoming players to talk about. Um, if you have any comments, questions, anything that you want to see from the podcast this season, any feedback, anything, any features you want us to look at, then drop us an email at podcast at nonanever.net or tweet us at no nay never and we will be happy to take your questions and your suggestions um thanks as ever go to um producer matt for knitting this together especially after quite a long break um and, and putting out the show thanks matt thanks to band joyce for the use of our music again this season without charge thanks very much um and thank you as ever to not just my panelists tonight tom and richard but the whole non and ever team um there's a whole team behind us who put together this podcast and you will hear from from them in the next coming weeks as we all go on the show so thanks to all of you um, but finally again coming into season 7 thank you to you the listener for sticking with us after all these years um, for downloading and listening to this episode your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you um, we will be back next week and in the meantime enjoy the start of the season I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Known and Never podcast until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.